Good afternoon. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Sunday, November the 20th, 2022. And my series of podcasts continues dealing with all kinds of interesting aspects of being an American citizen living outside the United States. My guest today, a return guest and one of my favorite guests, and certainly somebody who I think of as a lawyer's lawyer, is Andrew Grossman based in London, UK. How are you today, Andrew? Uh, well, I, uh, I am well. It's, uh, I, I'm just glad not to be in Buffalo. That is true. They actually, uh, you know, Sundays, of course, is, what's that movie, Any Given Sunday or something, you know, about <laughs> NFL football? And uh, yeah, they've actually relocated the Bills football game, apparently, to Detroit. <laughs> So I'm not exactly sure what's going on there, but I'm sure I'll find out. It's actually pretty windy here in Toronto. Six feet of snow in Buffalo. Six feet of snow? Yeah. My God, that's incredible. That, I mean, that really is something. I wish I were there to see it. Uh, but I can't imagine having to shovel that up. Well, in any case, we know how things are in Buffalo. I can see how things are in Toronto. How are things in London? Uh, it's calm. Uh, the, uh, the economics of London is crazy. Uh, we've had several governments over the past uh, couple of months, and uh, they've screwed up the, the economy really badly. But uh, as I was telling you before we went on, uh, on the air, uh, there was a, uh, a poll taken by one of the newspapers, and the uh, current uh, finding is that well over half of uh, British people regret Brexit, which has been a disaster for the, for the country economically. Now, now that's interesting. Uh, not surprising, but interesting. Why, how do they articulate their regret? Why do they regret it exactly? What are they saying? Well, it's hard to know what... <laughs> what they're blaming on Brexit. We've got a lot of what's ailing us now is uh, uh, the you know, fuel crisis resulting from the, the Ukraine war, but uh, that's not all. Uh, the, the, the gover another part of it, of course, was the, uh, the COVID-19 uh, uh, closure and the government subsidies that put the government so far in the red that now they, they're raising taxes and reducing benefits. But what really happened, and, and, and it hurts uh, uh, people I work with, is that Brexit uh, dropped the value of the pound by 30%. Dropped the value of the pound by 30%. Now, that sounds undeniably accurate, not so sure it's people talk. What does that mean, for example, for a US citizen who thinks in terms of dollars? What would that Well, uh, I'll get to that in a second, but the first thing of course is that everything imported is 30% more expensive in pounds. All right, so let's pause. All right, so that's, uh, I've been reading about a lot of inflation in London. Actually, I was there around a month ago, and I noticed the prices were higher than I remembered. So, yep, no question there. And while private industry has had to raise salaries, public salaries have gone up minimally, 2%, 3%. So, uh, 
so that, uh, as I think in the US, teachers are hurting, public servants are, are uh, there's unrest, the nurses are striking, the doctors uh, are threatening a strike, um, serious issues there. For an American, that's the question you ask, an American or, or a dual national here, the first question is, well, are you being paid in dollars or in pounds? Because uh, uh, a good number of the people I met and know in, in London are working for American companies or foreign companies and their, their uh, salaries are based on, uh, on their home country or their pensions. So uh, it would be a, a good time, presumably, to be <laughs> paid in American dollars. Yes. If you're here on Social Security, your Social Security is now worth 30% more than it used to be. Wow. Kind of hard to live here on Social Security, but you get the point. Oh, that notwithstanding. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's worth more. <laughs> but as I was, as we were discussing earlier, uh, it, it also creates anomalies tax-wise. Bearing in mind that uh, I'm trying to think of any Americans who aren't, uh, who are over here and who aren't duly taxed. And the only ones I can think of are those who are government employees or military who are, who are, who live here as if they were in the United States and, and get cost of living allowances too. Uh, for everyone else, uh, the, uh, remarkable fall in the pound is going to hit them sort of the way the collapse of the dollar hit uh, Americans back, I think it was the Nixon years when they went off gold and the dollar uh, collapsed. Well, <clears throat> in those days, the IRS wasn't uh, so uh, efficient or effective at taxing Americans abroad as they are today. Uh, what happens now is that uh, section uh, 988 of the Internal Revenue Code immediately imposes a tax at ordinary income rates on phantom gains on virtually every transaction that you make that is denominated in pounds. Okay, let's just pause for a minute. And I've, I've got this section up here because this is something that, you know, in the, uh, you know, the Facebook groups and all these groups, people always talk about that. But, but let's, let's see what it actually says here, okay? So, general rule. This is section 988. Notwithstanding any other provision, they're really boring down on this, aren't they? Treatment as ordinary income or loss except as otherwise provided in this section, any foreign currency gain or loss attributable to a 988 transaction shall be computed separately and treated as ordinary income or loss as the case may be. So. Uh, the, the regulations make a, a de minimis exception for transactions under $200. Okay, it's still so that. Uh, if you've got a credit card bill for a couple of hundred dollars, that's not uh, 
taken into consideration. But uh, otherwise, in principle, uh, liquidating a bank account, or paying off a mortgage, that's the big one, uh, creates a, a gain or a loss. And for personal transactions, the loss is ignored and the gain is taxed. Right. For a business transaction, you could take a loss, but that's- so, uh, Randy, this would mean a, a home mortgage, right? That would be a personal transaction. Yeah, it? if it's a rental property, uh, you might have a deductible loss, but if it's a, if it's a home mortgage where you're living, uh, that's taxable. Okay, can I get just pause you there for a minute? Um, could you make this a little more visible by perhaps just providing a, a simple example? Yes, let's say uh, you have an American in Britain who is, uh, has lived here a long time or uh, is not eligible for the non-domiciled uh, allowances, which are very, it's a special uh, uh, tax uh, uh, loophole for uh, non-Brits who are only here for uh, a limited period of time. So, Once so you... the way that works is if you're not a, if you're not a UK domiciliary, you're not taxable on non-UK income unless until you're, you're here for 15 it. years, and then and then you're taxed regardless of your domicile, as if you were you're deemed domicile. So take one of these people who is taxable in both countries, and let's say that he owns a property in Washington that he bought for hundred thousand dollars. And he has a property in London that he bought for $100,000. And to keep the calculation simple, let's say that he has a 100% interest only mortgage on both properties. He sells both properties for whatever reason. Okay, can I ask you, Andy, are we assuming that, okay, so, so he's, he's, he's bought both of them in dollars, right? That's the key here? He's no, well, uh, yeah, uh, dollars or the pound equivalent of dollars. All right, all right. so, so the, the U.S. one, the Washington one, we're going to assume dollars, $100,000, $100,000 mortgage, the U.K. one, $100,000 in pounds. You which would have been 70,000 pounds then and 100,000 dollars uh, yeah and uh, 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 yeah okay it was it, it, back in the day seventy thousand pounds would have been a hundred thousand uh, dollars okay. today uh seventy thousand pounds is a uh, little over seventy thousand dollars okay okay so so a hundred thousand a hundred thousand for each of them to start hundred thousand purchase yeah. dollars hundred thousand more yeah okay now tell me what happened to the exchange rate and he's selling the well the exchange rate has dropped by 30%. So the, the, uh, the uh, American property is now worth uh, uh, let's say it was uh, well, the it American was, property still it was, the American property was 70,000 pounds and it's now 100,000 pounds let's say. That's, that's the one in London. No the, the property in the property in Washington. Okay. It was $100,000 equivalent to 70,000 pounds when he bought it. 
-hmm. And he sells it now for $100,000, which is 100,000 pounds. And he pays all of that back to the bank because there was no gain. That's the argument for this example. But in, 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 there's a phantom gain because when you calculate at the pound rate at the date of purchase and at the pound rate at the date of sale, there's a 30,000 pound capital gain. So that's taxable in Britain. Uh, there's a 12,300 pound allowance, which you get to deduct. But after that, there's 28% tax on the profit on residential real estate anywhere in the world. And this is UK tax. Yes, even though he has no money to take away from it. He has to pay that out of other wealth or find some other way or get a payment plan, get a loan. Or not, or go sell. Back. not sell. Yeah. Meanwhile, he has sold the UK property. Well, if it's his primary residence, uh, there would be no tax even if there was a gain, but there is no gain. He sold it for the 100,000 pounds that he bought. In the UK, there would be no tax. Yeah. Okay, in the UK, yeah. And, and in the US, there'd be a $250,000 allowance. But in a, it doesn't exist for a minute. Yeah, but it wouldn't make any difference. He didn't make any gain. Uh, he's paid back the bank. And from the standpoint of the IRS, he's paid it back with pounds that are worth 30% less than when he borrowed it. That's an ordinary income gain, uh, uh, profit gain on, the, uh, on the, uh, uh, the foreign exchange. And that's the Kijana case. If you Google Kijana First Circuit, uh, it was uh, it went to the, through the courts and it's uh, uh, established law that uh, you cannot uh, uh, deduct any loss, but you do have to pay tax on any gain on the mortgage on your personal residence based on exchange rate changes. Okay, all right. So that's very very interesting. So you're explaining it, in you know, through the lens of both the US and the UK tax systems. On yeah, they, they happen to be parallel yeah. with the exception that for business or rental property, uh, you can take account of a loss, but you can't do that in Britain in any case. All right, but in both cases, uh, they are treating uh, gains from fluctuations and exchange rates as, as income. Yes. All right, now, now that's interesting. I, course well familiar with the US 988 thing didn't know about the UK thing so really for an American who is not treated as a non-dom in the UK uh, life would be pretty stressful with any almost any uh, major change in exchange rates wouldn't it yes uh, what's worse is that you can't give up your residence for just one year You'd have to be outside the country for five whole years, tax years, uh, to escape that tax. In the UK. In, that's the UK uh, uh, avoidance, uh, avoidance rule, anti-avoidance rule. 
So instead of having a depart, I don't think the UK does not have a departure tax the way Canada does, correct? That's correct. So, so they handle it that way by saying, you know, well, you know, for five years, you're stuck with this. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. It's very interesting. I, I mean, I guess, I guess there's a few lessons here. The first is that if you're a, uh, if you're a UK uh, domiciliary, uh, woe betide you if you do your investing in foreign currency. Well, uh, except that so many Brits bought properties in Europe, vacation properties. And they're suffering with this problem. And often on, uh, on a mortgage, a substantial mortgage. Interesting, interesting. Boy, so I guess the lesson here is that massive swings in the exchange rate matter for tax purposes. They do. The only, the only time that you can avoid that tax is on death. They're not taking into consideration for uh, inheritance tax, but then there's a 40% inheritance tax in this country with only a 325,000 uh, pound exemption, not the $12 million uh, in the United States. God, you know, talking with you, Andy, you, you know, you always were left with a sense that the U.S. tax system is just. How does this happen? I don't, why is it that everybody goes away from me depressed? <laughs> oh, I, I, I never go away depressed. I always go away better educated. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you're not, you don't come within the, uh, the, the, the scope of the... Uh, well, I'm not a U.K. tax resident. Yeah, that's it. But your your uh, Canadian dollar has been jumping around too. You know, I, I don't even pay attention to it. Has it been jumping high or low, or what? How? Where? What directions have been jumping? I don't. You'd have to. You'd have to Google the exchange rate. I just know it because uh, I get a small pension out of Canada, so it, it's paid in do U.S. dollars, and it jumps around. My God, it sounds like your whole life you wake up every day and you and you first question you probably ask is, well, how will exchange rates impact my life today? No, my Canadian pension is a couple of hundred dollars a month. It's not, <laughs> not, to, not to concern myself with, except that it, I, I can't, uh, uh, I have to keep track of the exact amount in U.S. dollars for, for tax purposes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this tax stuff takes up a lot of time, doesn't it? It does. Terrible thing. So what do you think about, how long do you think it's gonna take for basically the UK to kind of sort itself out and get itself moving in the right direction? Actually, before we get into that, um, could you comment a little bit on the effect uh, a Brexit on citizenship and options and, and that sort of thing for uh, well, citizens, residents. Uh, what can I say? Uh, Brexit had a substantial change, brought a substantial change in the various uh, visa schemes they had because used to be uh, uh, if you were an American and you had a, 
uh, European ancestry, you could try to get a, an Italian or a Greek or a Spanish or a Swiss, or in certain cases, German uh, passport, and then you'd have free entry into the United Kingdom to work. Now, the only one that'll do that for you is Irish. If you've got an Irish born grandparent, you're home free. Uh, for everybody else, it's a very expensive proposition. Uh, visas cost uh, over a thousand residence visas and work visas, assuming you can get them, cost over a thousand pounds. And if you can figure you got a family of four, uh, you're talking uh, at least 5,000 pounds. Sure. And then you have to pay that again when you get to the stage that you, uh, you've been here five years and, and you, you want to regularize your status and, and then get citizenship, that's more money. Good God. So, so really this was an assault on, on mobility rights of UK residents, I guess, wasn't it, UK citizens? Well, look, uh, compare your line of work, uh, $2,350 to dispose of an American passport. Uh, you know, These are money-making schemes governments come up with out of hostility, I guess, because they resent immigration here. And in America, they resent the uh, renunciation. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So tell me how you think all this happened. I mean, you know, if this, this vote were held again today, a Brexit, re Brexit referendum in the UK, um, your view is that it would never, it would never go through, right? I think it went through because it was badly, uh, were the, 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 the uh, uh, referendum was badly worded. People didn't understand it. Nobody thought it was going to disrupt the economy this way. It was on nationalistic grounds. Let's take back our country. It's like America first, England first, Scotland. If Scotland goes independent, they'll rejoin the EU. That's right. Of course they will. Well, you know, it's it is fascinating because the result, of course, was that it's simply it's locked a lot of people into into being inside the UK who might not have wished to be there. It certainly has made things more expensive. So it's hard to it's hard to see why. I mean, obviously, it was a bad idea in hindsight. A significant percentage of people viewed it as a bad idea in foresight. But you're right. It all comes down to the question asked, doesn't it? I mean, what if they ask the question, here, we're going to have a vote on whether, you, whether you'd like to be sort of locked in the UK and lose your freedom of movement in the EU. What then? Yeah. I mean, I actually think it's a simpler question to understand, too. And uh, Europeans now feel unwelcome. A lot have left, and they're not replaced, because partly for the reason of the cost, the, the, the uh, Europeans now have to pay those visa same visa prices that Americans pay. Mm -hmm. And it's not as if salaries here were so much better than in, in other capitals in Europe. Right, right. Uh, there is a, as in America, there's a shortage of workers right now. That may not last, but it's, it's a fact. Why is there a shortage of workers? Because there, <laughs> there are no more uh, 
manual yeah. workers coming in from Poland. Okay, that's simple, huh? That's simple. Uh, and agricultural workers, uh, the same sort of thing. Meanwhile, of course, they get there's an abundance of people crossing the the, the, the English Channel in small boats to work off the books uh, in various kinds of employment, agriculture, sex work, uh, 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 cash payments in, in uh, uh, restaurant dishwashers, for example. Sure. Sure. I mean, that has to be a low cost component for these restaurants to stay in business. Right? Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, Politically, for the last 10 years or so, I have seen that the whole issue of the non-DOM status uh, has reared its head from time to time. Given the economic situation, do you think that uh, there's any chance the non-DOM non status could be abolished? They have tightened it in many ways. And it's uh, much harder to claim now. I understand the prime minister's wife, who is domiciled in India, has abandoned her claim to non-dom tax status. And well, she's, she's super wealthy, so that's- I read that too. I don't know if that, is there, do we have a reason to believe that or what? Okay. Well, I- Politically I bad for him. I think there's a little doubt about that. Yeah. Imagine being married to a tax shelter. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> there is no interest on the part of the government to tighten the non-DOM rules more than they've already been tightened. And the deemed domicile rule that I mentioned and the, the, the very hefty fees that start, I think, pounds to claim non-DOM status uh, make it uneconomic, except for the super rich. Okay. And so the government figures that the super rich are bringing wealth in regardless. Right. So you have to pay a fee to have the status. So, you know, that kind of rules out people of more modest means. Um, when you use the word deemed, uh, you're referring to the 15 year rule? Yes. Okay. After you've been in country 15 out of 20 years, you are deemed domiciled in Britain. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, it sounds like a substantial presence test or something, you know, sort of the equivalent. Well, I mean, somebody is here that long uh, and not in a tax exempt situation because there are, there are a couple of ambassadors from various countries who are here forever and they don't fall into that trap. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Well, just shifting gears before we wrap this up, this has been a great discussion as always. Um, so your great fact on FBAR trees, okay? I mean, this thing is absolutely fantastic. This thing you did for what is it, NYU Global, whatever? Global X, yeah. Global X, right. So yeah, this, it's easy to find on the internet if you just Google FATCA Global X, G-L-O-B-A-L-E-X. That's the easy right. way to find it. I mean, if there's anybody listening to this discussion who might possibly be interested in citizenship taxation, FATCA, FR, 
Uh, I've got to say that uh, Andy's treatise on this is far and away, I think, the best, the most complete thing ever done. If you want to learn what's really happening here. Well, my latest paper is on the law of terrorism. That's, <laughs> and so there are those I meet in, in various pubs who say that FATCA is terrorism. Well, it's same thing, same thing. R related documents. Anyway, it's, it's fabulous research. It really is great stuff. So. Thank you for that wonderful contribution to the literature in this area. All right, well, as I say, every time I talk to you, I leave the discussion better educated. Whether I feel better or worse, I'll know in the next hour or so. But thank you as always for the, the great education and the awareness on this. I think one thing, one comment that I would make here just in closing from more of a personal perspective is that Almost everybody who thinks about these issues, uh, I think, does so in an overly, from an overly centric US perspective, an overly centric. And uh, the great thing about, or one of the many great things about talking to Andy is that because he's living right there in London, it balances out. And I think a great part of the discussion today was the focus on how this looked like from a UK perspective as well. So. Well, one of the things I learned when I was in the US Foreign Service was that government agencies in the US, uh, the uh, working level, high working level people talk frequently to their, their colleagues, their compatriots abroad. And when you see the US implement some too cute tax rule, you can figure that other countries are going to pick that up too. They haven't picked up FATCA, although they do have a, a comparable uh, OECD scheme. And, and the uh, HMRC here did send out letters to everybody, including me, who had a, a foreign account that was reported to them. But they were a lot uh, uh, softer, I would say, than either... Uh, the uh, Canadian Revenue Agency, which I understand has a, FAT, a similar uh, law to FATCA. They absolutely had a blip. Uh, they had a blip. And the Americans, w once you told them on the phone that, uh, no, I'm not getting any interest on the account, it's just a deposit account, they let you alone. Well, I, I mean, there are many, many differences in FACA and the, and the CRS, of course. I mean, at least with the CRS, the information is going from a country where somebody does not live to a country where they do live. Yes. Uh, you know, it's general, I think, mostly the opposite, mostly the opposite with FACA. But anyway, great stuff, Andy. Great stuff. So nice to catch up with you again. All right. Anytime. And we will definitely be talking again, hopefully soon. So thanks very much. All right. Bye.